All right, biohackers, who doesn't love a yummy, creamy whey protein shake? Oh, it is such a treat. And I really love it as a meal replacement, post-workout recovery, maybe even a midday snack. So this is why I have to tell you about Puri Protein Powder. I absolutely love the bourbon vanilla flavor and the chocolate, but I think I got to go with the, the vanilla as my favorite. So it's smooth, it's delicious. And you know what else? It's pretty awesome that the flavors come from real natural ingredients like the bourbon vanilla seeds from Madagascar. And let's talk about quality because there's a lot of junk whey protein on the market that I would not recommend. So the Puree whey protein, it comes from pasture-raised cow's milk with no hormones, no GMOs, and no pesticides. This is because Puree's mission has always been to be the best at offering pure, clean, and superior products that, that support health and well-being. And what I think truly sets them apart is that they are fully transparent with their product testing. Every batch is third-party tested against more than 200 contaminants and certified clean by the Clean Label Projects. Not all brands can say this. Plus, each product contains a QR code so you can personally scan it and review the test results at home. I know you're excited to try it out. So what you're going to do is head on over to puri.com slash biohackerbabes. That's P-U-O-R-I.com slash biohackerbabes. And then make sure you use promo code biohackerbabes at checkout to save 20%. All right, let's get back to the show. We're digging deep and asking the questions we need to ask. Years of stress and not just emotional. I was depleting my body. I was malnourished. I'm working out like crazy. I'm eating all these healthy foods. How could I not be well? We have to get back to the basics. We can change the way our genes are expressed. Anyone that wants to improve their health or upgrade their health, they should be biohacking. My name is Renee. And I'm Lauren. We are the Biohacker Babes. We're sisters and we're joining forces to empower you to become your own biohacker and upgrade your life. The Biohacker Babes podcast aims to create insight into the body's natural healing abilities, strengthen your intuition, and empower you with techniques and modalities to optimize your health and wellness. Because life is too short to not feel your best every single day. This podcast offers health, fitness, and nutritional information and is designed for educational purposes only. You should not rely on this information as a substitute for, nor does it replace professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you have any concerns or questions about your health, you should always consult with a physician or other healthcare professional. Thank you for joining us and welcome to the show. Welcome to episode five, all about circadian rhythm. What is circadian rhythm? Well, it's the natural internal process that regulates our sleep-wake cycle. We are really just following the rhythm of the sun, so it's this 24-hour clock. And when we can synchronize our body with this dark and light cycle, we can create balance in the body. And we know that every cell and organ within the body is guided by this clock. So it's super important to follow this 24-hour cycle of our circadian rhythm. Yeah, our circadian rhythm activates many brain and body functions that keep you alert and awake during the day. And then they function to slow you down and prepare you for sleep. So this is very active in every one of us without us even knowing sometimes. How do we know that it exists? There is a lot of research showing that our bodies are regulated by an internal clock 
called the suprachiasmatic nucleus. Did I say that right? Renee? Say that 10 times fast. <laughs> Absolutely not. I have to read it on paper every time I say it. Yeah, right? No, that's why we call it the SCN. Much easier. Yeah, the SCN. It lives in the hypothalamus in our brain. This is our main systemic regulator, but our organs also have their own clocks. So there's a lot of clocks that are functioning without your body in the brain, in your hypothalamus, and then in every organ. How do we know this? There's a lot of excellent research out there. And if you want to read some great books, Circadian Code by Sachin Panda and also Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker are really great resources. So coming back to how we know this exists, because I think there's a lot of people out there that don't believe that circadian rhythm is a thing or they think that you can sort of change or, or have control over your body's rhythm, but we can't. This is an internal system that rules us. And we experience this as jet lag. Everyone has experienced jet lag in one form or another from traveling across time zones, whether you're coming or going, you've experienced tiredness, right? Fatigue, it's hard to get up, it's hard to reset back to your normal schedule or even reset to your vacation schedule, whatever that may be. Um, there's not just travel jet lag, but there's also social jet lag. And that does, doesn't just mean like going out and drinking with friends. This could be one bad night of sleep because of stress or work. It could be staying up late studying for a test, staying up late doing doing work. Uh, it could be taking care of a baby. It could be taking care of a sick family member. These are all sources of social jet lag. And that does include going out on the weekends and staying up later than normal. I think we've all experienced that, that early Monday morning that just totally sucks. It's hard to get out of bed. That is social jet lag. That is because your schedule didn't stay consistent throughout the weekend. So then waking up on Monday is really, really tough. Right. And I would add one more thing to the social jet lag is the, when we reset our clocks, right? When we fall back in the fall and spring forward in the spring, um, just that one hour difference, that's maybe not social jet lag, but it's definitely a type of jet lag that affects our internal rhythm. Yeah. And that really has like far reaching effects. I think falling backwards is not as difficult as the spring forward right? Losing an hour of sleep. And isn't there a statistic about Monday morning after spring forward that people experience more heart attacks? Yeah, that's an actual stat. Yeah, that Monday morning, more heart attacks. And I think I've also heard that there's more car accidents that day than like an average Monday. Right. Because losing sleep or sleep deprivation is actually worse than driving while intoxicated. That sounds pretty dramatic, but sleep deprivation is a real thing. And so altering your circadian clock, if we're going to go to the extreme, can really have some powerful effects. Definitely. So let's dive into a little bit more about like how this 24-hour clock really functions. And I wanted to bring up a really interesting study where these two men went into a cave. It was very, very dark. There was no light exposure at all. So they went in for six weeks. And they found that their bodies naturally woke up and then went to bed around the same time every day. So they definitely stayed on this cycle. But the interesting thing was instead of following a 24-hour clock, they actually followed about 26 to 28 hours. So I think the human body would prefer maybe a longer clock, even just 26 hours. But the sun is on a 24-hour clock and it's a little more convenient to stay on that. So we can use light exposure to our favor to follow that 24-hour clock. And that signal to the brain from the light is 
so incredibly important. So what you're saying, Renee, is that we don't rely on the light because we have the internal clock, but we can use that as, I guess, a biohack. Right. Yeah. I guess it is a biohack. So using the light to kind of speed up that, that clock a little bit. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I don't know how it would work if we all tried to function on a 28 hour day. That would be very interesting. (laughs) I can't remember what day it is as it is. So my calendar would be pretty screwy. Yeah. Right. (laughs) So why is this important? Well, we can't avoid our biological rhythm, right? We were born with it. It's deeply rooted in our body. We even said every cell and organ has its own clock. So if you want optimal health, you really need to follow this. And every organ actually has an optimal time to function. They want to work really hard during certain hours, and then they need downtime during other hours to kind of rejuvenate and reset. And this clock creates this cycling day-night rhythm. It can make you feel tired at night, more alert and awake during the day. That's why we have seen that we can focus on mental tasks better at certain times, like especially 10 a.m. You might have a better workout at a certain time, especially 5 p.m. And we know that the pancreas wants to shut down around 7 o'clock. That's why it's not good to eat after it's dark out, right? We don't want to eat too close to bedtime. So tuning into this rhythm can help with a lot of health issues. And timing your eating, your drinking, when you work, you know, your core body temperature is going to change, your metabolic rate is going to change, hormones, all of this, you know, we can't effectively change this timing unless we incorporate these things, like we said, like the biohacks with light exposure. So when you honor this rhythm, you're going to see amazing health benefits come somewhat naturally, you know, a lot of people see weight loss, better energy, better brain function, harder workouts, so more muscle strength, and just so many other health benefits. It's amazing. I love what you said about the pancreas shutting down, because I think a lot of people know it's not good to eat late at night. I think there's maybe some guilt surrounding that. They're like, well, I'm just so hungry, or I worked late, like I have to eat. I know it's not good, because why? Because we're going to it's going to be harder to lose weight. It's going to be harder to burn fat. But I think that sort of gets down to the very physiological foundation of, of why that process is so important. The pancreas is shutting down so everything else can't work as optimally. Like eating it late at night is just not optimal. This leads us into why it makes you hotter. So Renee introduced organ timing, and this is a really powerful concept to wrap your heads around. I'm pretty sure we have all experienced that multitasking just doesn't work. And this is also true of our organs because they all have their own clock and require optimal timing. We have to honor that. We have to allow our organs and our body to function on this cycle, on this clock, so everything can be at 100%. So your brain doesn't work when it's tired, right? Your muscles are going to be weak. Your organs aren't doing what they are supposed to do. And if the timing of your systems are thrown off, we're just going to keep create this cascade of effects. Like everything is either pushed back or it's not happening efficiently. We're getting off of our schedule. So we have to honor the calendar, honor the cycle so that most importantly at nighttime, we're able to rest and recover and get all of that detox so that we can wake up the next morning and do it again. So a great example of this is bright light. When we experience bright light at night, we are reducing or preventing the hormone melatonin from releasing. 
If you don't have melatonin, you're going to be up at night. You're going to get poor and insufficient sleep. Then you're going to have increased hunger, poor food choices, late night eating, low growth hormone. This list is really endless, right? Lack of attention the next day, sleepiness, brain fog. You also have reduction of damage cell repair, which you're not going to experience on a physical level, but it is happening internally. Indigestion, we all know what that is. High blood glucose and less fat burning. So this cascade of events is real if we're getting off of this cycle. So the idea here is that our organs are not going to be multitasking because we're allowing them to function at the right time. So what happens if your rhythm isn't working? So I just mentioned a few things, but on a larger level, this is what we have. And I think everyone can probably pick one or two things off this list and they've experienced it at least to a small degree. So anxiety, depression, compromised learning and brain function, leaky gut, indigestion, IBS, stomach pain, gosh, all of the stomach issues, diabetes, metabolic syndrome, weight gain and obesity, irregular menstrual cycles, that is real, sleep apnea and insomnia, allergies and asthma. God, I, I feel like I know more people today that have allergies and asthma than don't. It's crazy. Bacterial infections, neurological disorders, and that can be as, as small as brain fog during the day or something more serious that is life-threatening. Arthritis, right? Uh, joint pain. And then even cancer, which there's a very strong link for night shift workers, people that don't have an optimal circadian rhythm are experiencing cancer at, at really high rates these days. It's crazy. Yeah. And just to kind of drive home the point more that this does exist, we've known about this for years, but it's always nice to see when it shows up in the news. It's like confirmation that we were right, you know? And so this yeah, was totally. on the Today Show yesterday, I literally jumped off my couch to grab the remote and, and rewind it because I really- Oh, if it, if it makes it onto the Today Show, we're good, right? It's right. mainstream now. <laughs> it must be real. So they said, study linking sleeping with lights on to weight gain. So they found that women, after they followed them for five years, those that had some kind of light exposure at night while they were sleeping, they were likely to gain at least 11 pounds, increase their BMI by 10% or more, 33% more likely to become obese, and 22% more likely to become overweight. Ooh, isn't that wild? I thought that was so cool that the Today Show was talking about that. And a lot of the people on the show were like, really? Like they had no idea. So this light exposure sure. is a big deal. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure that link can seem really foreign or unfamiliar. So we're going to try to bridge that gap. But that's really amazing that it's making it to the news like that. Cool. Yeah. So I think now that we've really explained why we're so sensitive to light and how important the circadian rhythm is, we're going to dive into our four tips or biohacks for what to do to keep this in balance. So I'm going to run through these four real fast, and then we're going to dive into them a little bit deeper. But starting off, number one, so go to bed and wake up at the same time every day. And this includes weekends, which I know is a little tricky. Number two, have your first meal and your last meal around the same time every day and maybe even incorporate time-restricted eating. I think number that one's even harder. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I think so too. Next, number three, ensuring that we have adequate full-spectrum light exposure during the day and then reduced light exposure in the evening. And number four, adjusting and monitoring your evening and pre-bedtime habits. So these are like the sleep hygiene tips we've talked about. 
because your day really begins when you go to sleep at night. So that's setting you up for a productive and successful following day. Cool. I love these four, well, let's call them biohacks, right? That's why we're here. If you feel really discouraged or, or daunted by these four tips, don't hang in there. We're going to explain how to make these more accessible to you. And if you can even just do one, that's going to be so powerful, especially the pre-bedtime habits. So hang in there. We're not quite done yet. Renee, do you want to explain a little bit deeper? Yeah. So let's dive a little deeper into number one. That That's following our sleep schedule. So it's interesting to think that alarm clocks haven't existed for that long. So ideally, you want to be able to just wake up naturally in the morning around the same time every day. So when you do go to bed at the same time every night and then wake up at the same time every day, your body will get used to that and it'll kind of program that rhythm. And so then you can start to wake up naturally in the morning. I know this is a hard one, but we, we can get there. And, you know, Lauren had pointed out the other day to me, you know, alarm clocks are so jarring to the nervous system. It really is like the worst way to wake up. I mean, unless you have something like very calming, like birds chirping, but I think a lot of people are afraid they won't wake up. So they have these like blaring alarm clocks and your sympathetic nervous system is just like on fire first thing in the morning. Yeah, I have really calming sounds to wake me up, but I'm a light sleeper, so I'm not really sure what to say to the people that are heavier sleepers or if you're a bear. Um, my boyfriend is a bear, and he requires like emergency sounds to get out of bed in the morning, and it's really unfortunate if he, for some reason, has to wake up before me because I wake up oh, no. stressed, my heart is pounding. I'm like, how on earth could this be like a good way to wake up in the morning? There's got to be another way. We could talk about that a little bit more, but this is not a natural thing. Right, right. So yeah, just trying to get into that sleep schedule as best you can. And as we were preparing for this episode, you know, timing is so funny when we find different articles and research. I thought this was fascinating. This study found that for every hour of variability in time to bed and time asleep, a person may have up to 27% greater chance of experiencing a metabolic abnormality. That's a mouthful. The studies, they really get you. <laughs> yeah. So that, that shows just one hour, the difference it can make. And you know, when they say metabolic abnormality, that it can include any of the metabolic disorders, you know, obesity, weight gain, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, all of those. Right. So that's number one. All right. Number two, we actually love this one. And I find that people can incorporate this. So time-restricted eating even if you can't eat your meals at the same time every day, just restricting the time that you are eating, maybe that window is 12 hours. So you're eating from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. Or maybe you can get it down to even eight hours. So maybe starting at 11 a.m., you're only eating all your food within seven hours. So just by restricting this eating, we can see amazing benefits. And here we go, another study. <laughs> they took a group of mice where they gave them a high-fat, high-carb diet which I would never recommend anyone follows, right? High fat and high carb together are disastrous. That makes me so full and sick to myself. <laughs> right? It'd be like so many calories. Oh gosh, you'd probably oh, be in a food coma. Thanksgiving holiday meals, I guess it exists. In a yes, twice a year. <laughs> so even when the mice were on this diet, they restricted the time that they were eating and the mice remained healthy. They wow. saw their microbiome was healthy. They didn't gain weight it's just kind of mind-blowing that that made such a big difference. But, you know, this is really good research and it's something I think that everyone can do. That's a great study. That's really crazy. So same 
number of calories, same type of nutrition and just shoved into a smaller window. That's incredible. Right, right. And they're not necessarily, you know, restricting calories, even in human studies, you're still getting the same amount of calories and nutrients just in a shorter time window, giving your body a longer time to kind of recover from the processes that have occurred during the day. This is great because then you're never feeling deprived, right? If you're getting the same number of calories. I love this idea. We got to go more into that. Very cool. So to continue, number three, light exposure. We mentioned this before that our internal clocks do not rely on light, but it's really powerful as a a regulator. So it's great biohack. Most Americans spend 90% of the day inside. Can you believe that? That's crazy. Well, I believe it. I live in New York. Well, you probably get more light in New York because at least you walk places. But think about people that from their house, they get into their garage, into their car, drive to work, go in the office building. Like they never see the light. (laughs) Yeah. But then I sit in the dark theater for most of the day. So true. (laughs) This is true. I believe it. So light exposure tells our brain to reduce melatonin. We talked about that at nighttime. It increases cortisol. It increases gut motility. Your motor coordination is going to rise and glucose regulation also rises. So those things have to happen at specific times of the day. And I actually just gave them to you in the order that they need to happen in the morning. So we need light in the morning to make all of those things happen. And then throughout the day, we're getting, well, we have a lot of light exposure morning, afternoon, and then by evening, the light exposure has to go down so that the opposite of all of those functions happen. So light is super powerful. We'll get into specific biohacks and tools that you can use. Number four, bedtime habits. If you can do one of these four things, I think this is the first and most powerful one to focus on. We talked about sleep really heavily in our previous episode. Just to review, you have to have an optimal sleep environment. You have to be tracking your sleep because this is when all of those rest and recovery functions happen and your sleep is preparing you for the next day. But also your morning is preparing you for your sleep, again, on the cycle. So making sure that your body temperature is cooling down, allowing your nighttime hormones like serotonin, tryptophan, and melatonin to all rise and then also allowing your digestion and blood glucose to slow, allowing your pancreas to you know, put its work aside and go to bed. There's all of these functions that have to happen. And so hacking your nighttime environment, like we talked about in the previous episode, is going to change these habits for you. Yeah, I think just one more thing about the light exposure. I heard this really great quote the other day by Sachin Panda, who was the author of Circadian Code, the book we mentioned before. He said, we've lost our right to darkness. Yeah, electricity. How profound. (laughs) You can always turn on a light and there's always a TV. There's always a phone. There's always something. Always. Yep. You have to really go out of your way to avoid it, but you can do it. You can definitely do it. I kind of love when there's a storm and a power outage. This hasn't happened that many times in my adult life, but... I don't know what it is about that, but I really get excited about not having all of those light sources and electricity, even for a short period of time, because it never happens. Yeah, it really doesn't happen anymore. I I don't know that I would get excited about it, but I definitely like more darkness, except I did do uh, dining in the dark last year, and that was surprisingly terrifying. (laughs) That is terrifying, because I wonder if there's some weird physiological thing where you need 
you need that sense, the sensory experience of light and vision to maybe digest your food, right? But yeah, that's trippy because once you ever eat in the dark. Yeah, I think it was more the fear that I could not turn on a light. I didn't have the option. Oh, interesting. Yeah, Yeah. it's so automatic and it's so readily available. Darkness is is pretty sacred and, and hard to find. Yeah, and I mean, how many people go camping or spend time in, in nature where there isn't light source? Right, and you know what? There's, there's a really great cure for insomnia. You go camping for one week. Oh, I will do it. I'll do it. Yeah, yeah. People say it changes their insomnia issues big time. It's, it's crazy. So cool. go camping. So stop the episode right here. Everyone go camping. We'll see you next time. Yep. <laughs> Renee, so who is it for? Who needs to be focused on circadian rhythm? This time it's not just humans that need to be focusing on this. I I mean, animals we see follow this rhythm too. And then to go one step further, we even see plants follow this. I mean, so you can't avoid it on this planet really. And there was an interesting study that looked at this mimosa pudica plant, which people are now using for parasite cleanse, but it's a really smart and intelligent plant. It has this endogenous self-generated clock within. So they found that no matter what light exposure the plant had, it always followed the same 24-hour clock. Pretty crazy. So really everyone needs to be looking at this. It's just such a simple idea that if you can incorporate that, you're going to just see benefits everywhere else in your life. So why not do it? I've seen my dog try to I guess, engage in this practice. He, in the morning, immediately wants to go outside. I mean, he has to go to the bathroom, but he will find the strongest source of light or sunlight immediately, and he'll just stand there in the sunshine. Oh, so cute. Beautiful. And I don't know, why else would he be doing it? I, I guess it's a little bit warmer, but I don't think he's seeking the warmth. I think he's seeking the sun because his body knows that he needs that to regulate. Yeah. My cats are the same. When I wake up in the morning and I open the blinds, they both run to the window to sit in the windowsill. I love they that. can't wait for the light. Yeah, it's so cute. It's a natural instinct. That's really cool. So what have you learned from exploring circadian rhythm in your own life, Renee? This has been, I guess, a more recent thing for me to focus on. You know, For years, I was looking at every other health aspect and kind of overlooked this because I always had this lifestyle and different jobs that didn't support this circadian rhythm. You know, I've, I've literally never had a job in my life that started at the same time and ended at the same time. I mean, everything from bartending till 4am or working at Disney world where my shift started at 3.30am or even when I worked in a hotel, like I would either work 7am to 2pm or 3pm to 11pm. Like I've never had a regular cycle. So it was just something I totally overlooked in my health journey. And it actually and, sounds crazy to work that late into the morning, but you, you almost would be better if you just did it every day of the week, right? Rather than changing the schedule. Right, right. And yeah, I think if I always worked that night shift, it would have been different. But like every other day I was either working morning shift or night shift. It was always changing. And then even when I was working at a bar, you know, I would work usually like 4 p.m. to maybe 3 a.m. That was the worst because I found that just three nights of that, it then took me four days to feel like I was somewhat recovered. And then I would just start all over again. So I was just constantly tired with that job. Wow. So I'm really working on that now that I have a, you know, more of a steady 
routine. So trying to go to bed at the same time every day. And then I wake up within, within 30 minutes to an hour of the same time every day. And it seems to be helping. I, I think I'm waking up a little more natural. I'm not totally shocked when my alarm goes off in the morning. But yeah, it's been a journey. <laughs> what about you, Lauren? Yeah, mine's sort of the same. My schedule's always been erratic, especially with personal training in the morning because depending on when clients want to train, I'm not starting at the same time every day. And if I have a long day where I'm training someone really early in the morning and doing a show at night, if I have the next morning available, of course my body wants to sleep in. Like who doesn't want to catch up on a little bit of sleep? And if I don't have to wake up with an alarm clock, my God, like, yes, I want to sleep in. But it really changes the rest of my week. It throws me off enormously. And I know this because when I do try to stick to, I guess what you said, 30 minutes to an hour of consistency every day, I wake up more naturally. Like recently I've been waking up without my alarm clock and it kind of surprises me, right? Like I wake up, I'm like, wait, why did I wake up? Wait, my alarm clock didn't go off yet. Like, am I supposed to be getting up? And then I go, oh no, my body just said, you got good sleep. You're on a schedule. It's time to get up. Everything's cool, right? Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and I can see how things really fall, fall apart when my sleep is not consistent. If I, uh, two weeks ago, I had a really terrible night of sleep. I was anxious about something I had the next day. And for days. I was so fatigued. I had like crazy brain fog. I couldn't focus. And that was even following like two nights after that. I got full a full eight hours. It was like optimal timing. I got really good sleep. But because that one night previous was terrible, I was catching up for the rest of the week. And it took me a minute to realize that because I was like, I've done everything else right. Like I'm eating well, I'm exercising. I didn't over-exercise. I got really great sleep. But the cascade of effects was really affecting the rest mm -hmm. of my week. And it's really frustrating that way. So yeah. Yeah, I definitely have found that consistent scheduling, it's easier said than done, but that's, that's a magical thing. Yeah. And I think it was in the book, Why We Sleep, where he said one bad night of sleep, it takes like three to five days to recover. Oh, yeah. There right? you go. Something, so you, you totally experienced that, unfortunately. But Another thing is that I've had years of having long days, right? With this, uh, having two different careers at the same time, waking up to do fitness and then doing a show at night. I, I was eating all day long. And I used to think, oh, I'm so tired from just being active all day long. But now with doing all this research on time-restricted feeding, I'm realizing I think I was tired just from eating all day long. Because that's exhausting to your body, right? Like my feeding right. window was just so wide. It was so long. And so my time spent not eating and letting all those organs recover was so short. So they weren't recovering and getting the rest they needed. And it was affecting my energy levels. That's so interesting. But yeah, good point. So I don't know if, if anyone out there is having like a, a really long day, really consider when you're opening your mouth and when you're closing it because <laughs> if you're tired this could be this could be a factor it's not just your activity levels yeah that's kind of like when i fly from the east coast to west coast like if i take maybe a 7am flight from the east coast and then you know you're flying 5 or 6 hours cross country and then you're staying up later because the time zone change i swear i eat like 2 days worth of food in that one day and just like can't stop eating 
Yeah, I'm the same way. I get really hungry, but it's better to fast, right? I think you told me this. Yeah, that's a really good hack for jet lag is to fast. I think because food does signal to your brain what time of day it is, that when you fast, it's not as disruptive. It's a hard hack, but it it works. Cool. We should do an episode just about travel and how to stay regular. Ooh, yes. Yes. Regular in in many senses. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. So there's a debate, controversy. Uh, I think it's more of a lack of knowledge or willingness to believe that this circadian rhythm really exists. And I just want to say for those people that don't believe it, if you're experiencing any of these symptoms, but you feel like you're doing all of the right things, I think circadian rhythm is a really powerful thing to consider. Getting on a schedule is going to change all of these so-called healthy habits that you have. So just restructuring the time or the windows in which we do them. So let's go uh, favorite hacks. We want to introduce some of our favorite ways to reset. Renee, you go. So all of my favorite hacks for this episode really tie into using light exposure to our benefit. So bright light in the morning, whether that's just getting out in the sun, you know, going for a little walk, or even using my human charger, which we've talked about before. It's that little like iPod nano looking thing where you just plug it into your ears and it shines bright light right into your brain essentially. So getting that bright light in the morning, it says, hey, it's morning, wake up, get that cortisol going, shut off that melatonin. And then in the evening, I do the opposite, right? I block all that blue light, especially from TV, computer, phone, even my overhead lights, right? Trying to light more candles. And then using my biohacks there. So like my juve red light, that'll light up my whole bedroom, which is great. I use the amber book light so that I can actually read in bed without having that harmful blue light. And then I even have a red or amber nightlight in my bathroom. So right before bed, you know, I'm brushing my teeth and getting ready for bed, but it's so calming. There's no blue light, just that amazing warming red light. And then my last hack for that is there's an app you can get. It's free called My Lux Recorder. And you can actually test your light exposure anywhere you go. So if you're curious, well, how how damaging is the light in my office or my home? You can just test it using this app, which is pretty cool. So really just tuning into light. Those are all my favorite hacks. (laughs) All 50 of your favorite hacks. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's really just one. I'm just hacking light. No. Okay, cool. <laughs> we always try to get, keep it simple, but I think we like this uh, stuff so much. It's hard. Yeah. So I'm just going to offer some different ones because those are my favorite as well. I'll give you two. So waking up at the same time every day, which is incredibly hard for me, but I have embarrassingly proven over and over again to myself that everything just works so much better if I can wake up at the same time every day. Um, I'm less tired. I'm more alert. It's just easier. So that's my number one. And number two is the time-restricted feeding. So I try to stick to 12 hours. If I can get beyond that, that's even better. So I just, I just say it out loud. I put it on paper. I tell people I eat first thing at 8 a.m. and then 8 p.m. I stop. And that is just it. And it really sort of like takes out any indecision about eating because that's just what it is. Um, yeah, so 14 hours is even better if I can do that. And I found that I'm a naturally very hungry person in the morning, or I always have been in my adult life for as, for as long as I can re- remember. And since I started doing this 12 hour or less feed, I'm less hungry in the morning, which is 
amazing because sometimes I just get annoyed. I'm like, can I just focus on something else? Can I do my meditation? Can I get my day going without, you know, having those hunger pains? And it, it happens way less frequently. So a lot of benefits there that I've enjoyed. That's awesome. Yeah. I've seen the same, same thing. Cool. So did we get any questions? Yes. I got one question. Um, here we go. I get severe jet lag when I travel. Is there anything I can do? I think we're going to do a whole episode, but let's jump into that real quick. Yeah. Well, this is a great follow-up to the sleep episode when we talked about melatonin and how that is not a useful supplement to sleep. But in this case for jet lag, it's really helpful. So traveling time zones, you can take it, I think like right after the sun goes down, right? You don't want to be taking it right before bed. You want to take it when the sun goes down so it can build up naturally. Yeah. Around nine o'clock. naturally do. Nine o'clock, I've heard even like seven or eight. I guess it depends what time you're going to bed. Yeah, I think it depends maybe on the season. Like in the winter when the sun is setting at five, you can take melatonin earlier versus summertime. I probably wouldn't take it till nine o'clock. Oh, good point. Right. Yeah, so for those melatonin lovers, save it for the travel. <laughs> I'm so glad we got that question. Cool. Yeah, and even just like planning ahead for taking your melatonin. So look at, you know, are you crossing three time zones? Just try and take a few days, maybe up to a week if you're a crazy planner like I am, (laughs) but you want to start taking that melatonin on your new time zone. So if it's nine o'clock on the East coast where you're going, you want to start taking melatonin at the nine o'clock East coast time, if that makes sense. So planning ahead is really helpful. Just starting to use that light to reset your body. And remember, it takes about one day to adjust to a one hour time change. So the more hacks you can use, the quicker you're going to adjust to the new time zone. Awesome. I love that. Thanks, Renee. Cool. So that is wraps up our circadian rhythm episode. If you have any further questions, send them to us and we will address them at some point. We always love hearing from you and thank you so much for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Love this episode of the Biohacker Babes podcast? Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. We truly appreciate your support. Until then, happy biohacking. Happy biohacking.